Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, and welcome back to Your Tables Ready. I'm your host, Carol Haydar. First of all, thank you so, so much for those of you who've listened. If you've liked it, please do give us a review. You can do this on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. You just go to the show, slide down the page, and give it a five-star review. If you don't have Apple Podcasts, but you still want to support us, you can do this just by sharing it with your friends, families, colleagues, nemesises. Right, so with this lockdown, it feels like there's a lot of time to think, and I just wonder what new products and businesses might come of it. So I wanted to pivot a bit this week to a different type of guest. It's still in the realm of hospitality, but more looking at a business that helps power it rather than locations themselves. It's a really inspirational story of two guys chatting over a business idea in their 20s, and then they ended up selling that business for over 25 million pounds by the time they were 35. Design My Night is responsible for giving us the ability to make reservations at bars, buy tickets to pop-ups, and much, much more. It may seem obvious to us now, but this wasn't always the case. Kind of like trying to remember a time before maps when we had to ask randoms on the street for directions. I'm chatting today to co-founder Nick Telson. We recorded this back in January when shaking hands wasn't frowned upon. And actually, on the day I met him, it was his last day ever at Design My Night. Bit of background on Nick, he went to university for languages, but loved marketing so much that he ended up doing a grad scheme at L'Oreal. And that's where this story begins. Here's Nick. L'Oreal is essentially a marketing company. And it's, you know, there's only so many ways you can spin a mascara from a formula point of view. It's all about brands and um, advertising and they throw you in there. So on the grad scheme, you do a bit of sales, you do a bit of operations, you do a bit of marketing, and you work around the whole company. I settled on marketing and did uh, marketing for Kerastars, so that's the professional product. So I didn't know about the professional division being a guy. And then, yeah, I discovered this professional floor where they own Red Ken, L'Oreal Professional, Kerastars, and lots of other salon-only brands. Um, loved what Kerastars was about, you know, the best formulas, luxury, luxury marketing. Um, and selling the experience and just and stayed there basically worked my way up from you know assistant product manager and then was marketing manager there so I was there for four years um, and moved up pretty quickly you know very happy there but then I looked at the next level up and it was general manager and actually I saw what our general manager did which was actually you know, reporting into Paris, charts, graphs, and you actually lose... All the things you hated. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all the things I couldn't do. Um, and I was like, that's just not what I want to do. You know, I'm a marketing guy. So it's probably around then when I started to get itchy feet. And then luckily, the idea for Design My Night started. To... You were already looking to do something different. Were you looking at other businesses, like, to um, move to? Or... Not necessarily. So, yeah, I wasn't, you know, ready to leave L'Oreal at that time. Right. I was happy there. And Andrew, who's my business partner, we, at university, we both discussed, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do our own thing? So I think right. that was always there, but we never actively thought about it. And, so, and what was Andrew doing this whole so time? So he worked at Accenture. So he okay. was a... I never really understood what he yeah. was, a business something. <laughs> business cons- he was earning a lot more than I was. He was a business consultant, but we had the complementary skills. So Andrew was more that, yeah. analytical, finance, um, and I was the more brand marketing side. Um, so we always knew, we, we were best mates at uni as well. We met in like week one. So we always knew we'd be a good match to, to start a business together. 
think I read that you went to New York. Yeah. Is this where the idea came from? Yeah. The so, concierge in New York. Yeah. So Andrew's now wife, so girlfriend um, at the time, lived in Boston. And at the third, I was single, so I was always Andrew's third wheel. So he was like, oh, we'll come over. I'd met her before a few times, you know. So we were like, let's stop off at New York first and have some fun in New York. And then we'll go on to, to see Elise and her family. So we were in New York uh, and there was two things that happened. One concierge of the hotel asked us, you know, what, what, what do you want to do tonight? And right, really drilled in and was like, you know, how much do you want to spend? What area do you want to go? What type of venue do you want to go to? So we had that. And then there was another website which was in New York, and I always forget the name of it, which was about promoting cheap drinks okay. in New York. So in America, you know, if you're a group of girls, you'll get cheaper discounts and all of that. So we sort of had that and we had that in our head and we were looking at both of those ideas and we don't remember the exact time when we thought let's do this but I think we were both weirdly thinking about that um, and then we went to um, Benny's Burritos which is a famous burrito place in New York got absolutely smashed on their margaritas and it was that night that we were like let's do some sort of website for London you know, I don't think there's anything really catering for that side of the market. You've got, you had some big, big hitters, but they weren't doing it very well digitally. Mm -hmm. And the original idea was to do a cheap drinks website like the one we saw, but for London. So we, we started formulating ideas. And then when we got home, we were then like Googling everything, see what we could find. And there wasn't really anything. So there wasn't like timeout or... So you had timeout. Um... You had Time Out, which digitally wasn't great and still really isn't to this day. And, you know, they pivoted to magazines and food halls now. There was one called View London, um, which was really big, but again, awful UX, UI. So just, yeah, at that time, there was nothing, no one really doing it well um, for sort of the millennials, although we weren't called millennials back then. So, so this thought, is like 2010? So when we were formulating, yeah, 2009. Okay. And, you know, th th even the concept, hard to believe, of, you know, mobile optimised and all of that was just never in people's mind. So we thought, yeah, you know, OK, they're big and, you know, time out, huge brand. But we were like, well, we can just do it better. And there's no, no reason why we can't. So then when we got home, I actually spoke to one of my other good friends at university who was very high up at Diageo. And she's still there, actually, to this day. And I said to her, if I set up this website for cheap drinks in London, would Diageo, if we had, say, a million users, would Diageo pay us a fortune to sponsor all over it? And she said, absolutely not. <laughs> I thought you were going to say yes. <laughs> no. she, she said, no drinks brand would put their name on a site promoting cheap drinking because right, it's not okay. responsible. Yeah. And at that time, naively, our model was selling advertising. Yeah. So we were like, oh, OK, that's not going to work. So that was our first quick pivot, really, was Okay, so how can we keep the price element but not be about cheap drinking? And at that time, the, the go compares, the compare the markets were all coming out. So this price comparison idea. So we thought, oh, why don't we be the first price comparison site for nightlife? So if you wanted to spend more, you could find a nice cocktail bar. If you wanted somewhere cheaper, we could find you a happy hour. And is this still your an idea phase or have you built anything yet? No, so it's still, still pure just... mapping it out, okay. still in our jobs, okay. thinking, is this a goer, basically? So really researching the idea. And that's something, you know, formulating ideas for our next company already. We're 
research is is very important for us you know you have to try and dissuade yourself you know I think a lot of people come in and speak to their, their parents and their friends who all say it's a great idea you get carried away but what we really tr tried to do back then and still do to this day is sit down and think okay why is this an awful idea and just think of all the reasons why it's awful and then luckily I spoke to my friend at Diageo from that side um, but the price comparison site we we're like okay actually yeah this this makes sense it was a bit of a USP that you know time out and all those others weren't really focusing on so that's when we were like okay let's let's do this so it was a year so 2009 we were both still in our jobs we did the classic we met every weekend actually every Saturday at Andrew's office in Accenture <laughs> so he signed me in as a customer and we used to go up to his office use all of their equipment sit out on the roof by ourselves overlooking London and we did that every Saturday that's a pretty nice way to come up with a business yeah it was quite nice and actually <laughs> re we did a recently we did a boat party for design my night and actually we went past the Accenture office and looked up and saw where we used to sit out so that was quite a nice moment and we randomly, as there's quite a few random moments, we randomly met a mate's friend in a pub one night who owned a digital agency. We told him about the idea. He got quite excited and was like, look, I'll build it for you cheaply if you, know, you keep me on and I come on this journey with you. So we were like, great, let's do that. So while both in our jobs, so working evenings and weekends, we were mapping out the site. We're not technical at all. So we were literally drawing it out on PowerPoint. Like what, what it had to look like, the buttons we wanted, yeah. like to, to the minutia detail. And it was probably for about six months we were doing that. Obviously Did you come up with Design My Night straight away, the name? Um, so the name, we actually really dislike the name. Okay, still. Still. <laughs> and, and, and because A, we do a lot of day stuff now. So we do brunch and lunch and, you know, we were very bar focused back in the day. Yeah. Uh, it's also too long. Okay. So from a marketing and branding point of view, it's quite a long name. It's a mouthful. It's a difficult mm. logo to achieve. So if, if I would do it again, I would try and think of a different name. But I've still got a book. Uh, I, I keep all my notebooks and I've still got a notebook of all like the names, you know, like Owl, Night Owl, you know. And actually, again, back in that day, like the random names like Monzo and Zoopla and all of that weren't a thing. I can't remember who said design my night, but we were like, okay, well, that makes sense. It's, it does what it says on the tin, right. basically. And we had this idea of people emailing us saying, you know, can you design our night out, et cetera, et right. cetera, which did happen. So we went with that name. This company did the logo for us. Again, okay. it looks very different than it does today. Um, <laughs> and we launched the site probably around November 2009. And actually just got instant tr traffic not, you know not a lot but enough that you know it was working and we would spend our weekends walking around pubs and bars going in with like a paper file saying right. what we wanted to do for design my night you know yes you've got time out and all of these but this is what we're trying to do you know it doesn't cost you anything yet to be on it you know do you okay. want to come on it we can set you up with a profile so literally just spent our weekends walking around wow. pubs and bars meeting the managers um, and just getting more knowledge from them on what they didn't like about Time Out or what they would have liked Time Out to do and, and, and View London and, and stuff like that. So we're gathering really good intel. And then it got to November where actually my boss at L'Oreal, who's, who's a good friend of mine to this day, um, pulled me into a meeting room and said, I know you're up to something. Oh. Yeah, because I can see you going into meeting rooms a lot. Um, 
And he was like, all I'll say to you is that I know from a boss point of view, it's not going to affect your job. But all I'll say is in your contract, you can't be setting up something else while you're still employed at L'Oreal. So right. just that's all I'll say. So two weeks later, I handed in my notice. Oh, wow. Uh, you were that confident. <laughs> that confident. <laughs> but what we did was we split Andrew's salary. Oh, wow. So we said, okay, what you'll do is you stay until June and, and work with me on weekends and evenings. I'll go full time. We'll split your salary. So I've got something coming in. And then if it's going well, June, then we'll both go full time. So that, that's what we decided to do. So I handed in my notice and went full time, probably yeah, November, December, full time, 2009. Um, and from there, just, you know, really started to, to motor the brand, design my night itself. Okay, so Andrew is cool with splitting his salary from Accenture. Yeah. So you could go full time getting, I guess, people onto the platform, Just companies see if onto it the was platform. viable. Okay. Um, it was sort of, you know, do or die. Yeah. Um, you know, we either both stay in our jobs or, you know, you're earning a very good salary now. We both know we can, we both put some of our savings into Design My Night, but we both know we've got enough to live off and we can live off a split salary. So let's do that for six months and see if it works. What did your parents and friends say when you... Um, parents were... So actually my dad's, dad's a businessman, entrepreneur, so he's in fashion, he's set up two sort of manufacturing companies, so he gets it. Uh, Mum, to be fair to, has her own beauty therapy. She's a beauty therapist, um, but was obviously a lot more concerned, you know, from them their kid leaving a great career. You know, all I was doing was progressing at L'Oreal. Mm -hmm. They'd offered me to go to Paris and, you know, I was on the fast track there. Um, so she was obviously a bit concerned. Uh, I think dad understood it more. Not necessarily the business. Yeah, I was gonna I, say, did they get what you were- Not really, I still <laughs> what is this? Yeah. to this day. Um, <laughs> but I think he trusted my judgment. and was like, I trust that, you know, you'll do all right. I guess if it failed, you could just go back. And it was exactly to... that. I was, you know, I was very upfront in the end. In the end, with L'Oreal, I said, "Look, I love it here. I'm not leaving to go to Estee Lauder. I'm leaving to do my own thing." Their whole mantra is hiring entrepreneurs at L'Oreal. So um, I said, "Look, if it goes wrong, I'd love to come back." Um, so you know, I actually kept in touch quite closely um, with that head of HR uh, over those next six months, oh, just, just in case I needed to go yeah. back. Yeah. So that was a good safety net, and same for Andrew. You know, we knew you know he could always go back to Accenture or some somewhere similar. Yeah. So you were getting restaurants and pubs and yeah. bars to come onto the platform, but for free. Yeah this platform you set up your profile you need to look after your profile so we had a back of house cms system and we said you know as long as you're managing your profile that's fine you're free we make our money from advertising you know that might change but we'll be very upfront as and when that does change but for now it's a free marketing tool at the time was it just they'd put their information the big thing for us was your prices so you had okay. to tap in your prices so we okay. we did um how much for a large glass of house wine how right. much for a small glass of house wine how okay. much for a you know stella so we would pick like six things that everyone would have on their menu okay and back of house we would then rate that on a pricing scale 
So then when a customer came onto our site and wanted to search, you know, we, we made up names, Drinkonomical was cheap. <laughs> um, then we would know which venues to show them. Right. Um, but okay. yeah, it was, you know. So it was less about booking and more about comparing. So and no mention of booking okay. at that time. So it was uh, the, the, the business model was um, advertising, just build up lots of traffic and let's sell it to advertisers. And so how did you get people onto the platform to then get advertisers to want to be on? So we've been very SEO driven. So again, we didn't have any expertise in SEO, but you quickly learn with SEO that it's not witchcraft. You know, if you do it right, then you, you um, get rewarded. Uh, we did, uh, you know, jumping ahead a bit, one of our darkest moments was to do with SEO um, because actually back in the day, and now Google have changed everything for the better, you could do some tricks to get ranked higher. And we hired an agency that we didn't know what they were doing, but they mm. promised us that they would get us to number one, two, three for these right. different search terms. But we had no idea what, how they were doing that. And then three years later, and we, that, so that's how we started getting our traffic. So we started to climb the rankings. So just pure, pure organic SEO, search. Pure organic. You know, we used a Google keyword tool and we saw people were searching for you know everything to do with nightlife so we're like if we can just tap into that market but then yeah one morning we came in we look we, back in the day we looked at our google analytics every morning and it just dropped off a cliff our traffic and we were like oh god what's happened and google had changed their algorithm to it was penguin which was cleaning up seo and getting rid of all the black cat right. techniques that were happening and we didn't know we were doing black cat techniques right right you were we just, just trusted yeah. this agency so Basically, we lost our ranking completely, um, oh. fired the agency. And it was then when we thought, okay, it was our darkest moment, but our best moment for Andrew and I, because we didn't panic. And we were like, okay, let's rectify this. We've seen that if we, if we can climb up Google, there's organic traffic to be had. So we did SEO in-house, totally clean, learned oh. the way to do it. Is this just you and Andrew still? Um, so at that time, a few years in, that was when we had a CTO uh, who was ex-Google mm -hmm. and um, a few other staff. So that was after our first uh, seed round. So we raised two years in. So for those first two years, it was us two interns trying to build up this platform. And just your own money. Just our own money. So we put in about £10,000 each. My dad actually at the time put in £20,000 and got shares. So we did that all formally with him. So that's what we were running off basically. And Did you have to hire someone to help you figure out the shares and the yeah, so, incorporating yeah. and all of that? Yeah, yeah. So, so we got a uh, like a startup lawyer okay. and accountant who, again, the startup lawyer I still use to this day oh, in nice. all my angel investing. Um, so they were a great help because, yeah, we had no idea about creating shares, option pools, yeah, sure. A-class, all of that stuff, which you just learn as you go along. You just fumble through, basically, and lean on people where you can. So we raised 250000 the business model at that time was still advertising. And again, funny story how that happened was one of Andrew's wife's friends <laughs> from America, she was going out with a British guy, um, like Elise was with Andrew, and she was over in London. And this guy, the boyfriend, invited Elise and Andrew over for lunch. So they went to his dad's house for lunch and Andrew was in the kitchen and the dad actually walked in and started chatting to Andrew and he was actually the head of entrepreneurship for London Business School um, <laughs> so it was a good, good, Very lucky. good person to meet over yeah. the kitchen sink 
so Andrew explained design my night to him and he got excited and said look I'd love to just be a mentor like wow. come in meet me every couple of months to LBS just tell me what you're doing so we did that and he was a great great help lovely guy and then he said look I think you should try and raise some funds and again we didn't really know what we were doing again back in that time it was after the, the crash and I feel like at the moment angel investing and there's a, there's money out there but back in that day it just it just didn't know where to go for money. Why was he suggesting that you raise more money? Like, what was it that the money would do? It, it was to kick on. He was like, look, okay. I feel like you guys can, can make a nice business here or, you know, let's kick on to the next level and see if you can take it to the next step. And we sort of bought into that as well. Um, you know, we still weren't paying ourselves anything. So we... we... Is Andrew still at... No, so he left. So he did leave in June. So for about a year and a half, didn't have a salary. Um, Literally living on bread. Didn't really go out with our friends. We actually, our CTO, who we hadn't hired at the time, worked at Google just down the road from our first office, um, which was a teeny little office. Oh, so you did get an office? Got an office. Well, it was on Tottenham Court Road. So it was on Oxford Street, but it was like one of these rubbish (laughs) language schools. It was like the size of this little cubicle we're in now. Um, and it was awful, mm-hmm. but we had an Oxford Street address. Um, Do you feel that helped? Yeah, the business a bit more credibility. Okay. And yeah, Google's office, Tottenham Court Road, was down the road. And our future CTO was actually again one of Andrew's friends from school, genius developer. And we knew he always wanted to be in a startup, but didn't want to take the risk that we'd done for those last two years. So in our head, we were like, okay, if we get funding, the first person we go and poach is Will, uh, the the developer. But in the meantime, we just went to visit him every day for lunch, A, to feed ourselves off Google's (laughs) canteen and get him excited about Design My Night. And when we when we raised that first round for 250, he was the first person we went to and he luckily came on board. So, you know, he took a big pay cut to join us, but we gave him a lot of options in the company and sold him the dream, basically. So then he came on board, which was, you know, almost like a third founder because neither of us had technical experience. So to get him was 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 great. And then once we got that funding, it was time to like really kick on. It was some six angel investors. So how John, the head of entrepreneurship at London Business School, when he said, I think it's time for funding, he helped us put our business plan together. And then he saw it and was actually like, I want to invest and I'll introduce you to a group of others that I normally invest with. If you can convince all of them, then, you know, we should be able to raise 250 for you as a group. So we met all of them individually, had never done a pitch before, it was our first pitch. We met them in like one in the Hoxton Hotel, one just in a Starbucks, and again, didn't even have a laptop or an iPad. We literally had like a paper deck printed out from PowerPoint and taught them through it. Luckily, they, yeah. they believed in it. And actually what they said to us, you know, after we sold and we went out for dinner, they said, we knew that wasn't the plan, but we really believed in you and Andrew. We could see that you had what it, took to fight but we also saw that you really knew the industry you were working in so you know we trusted that you would find something within the industry that would you know be the golden ticket basically so that's what they say yeah (laughs) the first plan they didn't believe in and it was actually just after the investment um, we hired an editor 
um, and, and some other staff and a customer success manager. And we had a team of like five of us still in that same teeny office. But that's when we stumbled on bookings and we thought, okay, let's look, let's stop looking at timeout and let's start looking at open table. And actually at the time, open table were called top table uh, before they were, were purchased. And fortunately enough, we got introduced to the guy that set up top table. Um, and he, right. he wasn't there anymore. So we went out for lunch with him, which was awesome, and sort of just asked him a thousand questions. And that's when our minds started working. And we were like, okay, hang on a minute. We don't necessarily want to take on open table, but the bar market and the pub market has nothing in that space at the moment. You know, open table is obviously mm. very restaurant focused. So that's when we started speaking. You know, we were two years in, we'd made lots of contacts with bars that were working with us, and it was free and et cetera. So we asked them um, and they were like, yeah, okay, booking, yeah, that makes sense. And that really then became our driver. So, you know, what was our sort of mission was actually to make the bars and pubs more operationally ready for bookings and show customers that you can book into a bar. So our whole mantra was, why go to a bar with your backpack on, stand by the bar, get barged and hit while you're trying to have your pint when there's tables over there? That don't cost you anything to book and what we would say to bars is well why not have processes where you can allow people to book that's guaranteed pre-book revenue and instead of having a form on your website that you get back to them seven days later let us help you manage that so at that time it still wasn't software it was let's put on a inquire now button onto every page on our website and then it would come into us and then Andrew and I and the customer success manager would literally be booking these people in manually seven days a week, all day, all well, night. Would you call the bar and be like, hey, do you guys have space for these people? Yeah. And then you just literally book them in. Yeah. Right, and okay. what, and, and, the, and the, the, the big problem we found when we were speaking to people was this, you know, if I was a customer trying to book into a bar, I would phone constantly. No one would pick up until the bar opened or I'd fill out this form and no one would ever get back to me. So one of our you know, big things for Design My Night was customer experience. So we had a texting service that if we couldn't book you in within an hour, we would text you and let you know the progress. Um, and we would keep you updated via text as to why we haven't booked you in yet, but letting you know it was in hand. And no one had really done that. And no one had seen an experience like that to book into a bar. So for us, that great customer experience really helped with word of mouth. You know, we really cared. And it was us, we did care. We were there doing it seven days a week, nonstop. But then at the same time, when we would phone a bar, it's great for them because we were giving them customers this time. So we were like, hey, it's free still. I have got a table for four that want a book. These are their details. Can you take it? Yes. So then we really started to build a rapport with these bars and pubs that we weren't just selling them advertising for free. We were now giving them customers for free. So that flywheel started to go, basically, where customers were saying, oh, wow, okay, this service is working really nicely. It's still not an open table. It's still not booking me in automatically but it's better than it was. And the bars were like, oh, these Design My Night guys are good. Let's carry on working with them. And then that was our big first pivot to, to inquiries, not bookings. Um, and then at the same time, people were emailing us going, oh, it's my Hindu. can you design my night? So then we sort of did this concierge service, which was bigger groups. And I would phone up bars with them and go, okay, I've got a group of 20 for you now. Can you take that? And I w it was actually me doing the concierge seven days a week. Non like it, that was probably the most stressful moment because I was so 
obsessed with customer experience that obviously I just couldn't relax, I couldn't turn off. So as soon as I got a concierge email in, I would deal with it. And the minute you open yourself up to the public and they see that there's a person behind it, it takes 50 emails to, you know, okay, oh, I think this bar's perfect for you. Oh, okay, it looks good, but can I have some other option? And then they end up booking the first bar. Um, <laughs> so that became like an obsession. But again, that really helped with word of mouth. We were like the first free concierge just helping people book into bars. You know, it's my birthday, I want an area in a bar. So we really built up that reputation. And we did that for that year that we had the funding. It was going well. We then turned on money and we actually said to bars okay we're now going to start charging you a pound per cover they were used to two pounds with open table and the like so we were undercutting them um and we'd already built up a reputation with them so it wasn't like we were just this new company looking to charge them so again 90 percent of the venues we work with were like yeah that's absolutely fine so never charge the customer but charging the the, the back-end b2b client um and that started to generate revenue um and, and we were like, okay, there's something in this book. Did you still have advertising? Still had advertising, but it was minimal because I think that's something we learned is, you know, to, to make serious proper money from advertising, you need to be doing millions and millions a month, you know, not thousands and hundreds of thousands. So that really made us flip to this booking side of the business. Um, and we did that for that year. Um, we went back to the same group of angels and said, okay, things are going well. We think we found something. Let's do another 250 raise. Um, so they all put in the same amount. So then we'd raise another 250 the year later. And then after that raise was when software started to happen. And for us, that was the big pivot okay. into being an okay company to an, a sellable company. And is this Collins? So at that time, how the software side happened was actually just speaking to venues. And, it, and there was a few venues that said to us, to be fair, have you thought about doing a software? Uh, we use restaurant software and it's not suitable for a bar. You know, back in the day, you know, people might remember that if you'd go into a bar and they had open table or book a table, it would say dinner. And then in the blurb on their website, it'd be like, don't worry, dinner means drinks. And they just didn't have the functionality to change it. Okay. And if you think about a bar, you know, a table of four could probably house eight with standing and all of that. Whereas the restaurant software was very, there's a table for four, you sit four. Okay, so you were solving a problem. A there was problem. a problem out there. And, and we, you know, it was the, a few of our close customers that are still customers to this day that said, have you thought about software? And we were like, no, to be mm -hmm. honest, we, we're not techie at all. So that started us on probably phase four of Design My Night, which was software, which was um, Collins, so the booking software. So the original iteration of Collins was to make a booking and inquiry management system. So that was our big USP, is bars don't necessarily want you to book straight away. They want to take the inquiry for 10 people, look what space they can move around and then book you in. All these other systems were automatic booking. So that was our big thing was, okay, well, let's do the automatic booking if you want to, but we'll also build you a proper back of house CRM inquiry management solution. So again, from the customer experience point of view, they can go onto your website, do a real time booking or an inquiry based on the number of people. But you as a sales manager have this system now where inquiries are flowing into, you can manage them in this system, you can tag them and set yourself follow-ups and reminders, and then have the usual floor plan where you can book them in for the hosts on the evening. And we actually went to our three customers that were worked quite closely with us and said, look, 
if you were to build a, a reservation system. Can we, can we say who they were? Um, so we had uh, Dirty Martini, Fullers, who are a huge pub group. And we're actually, uh, you know, always indebted to them because we actually met them when they were going to build their own system. And they actually met us and they were like, you know what, we're going to scrap that and we're going to work with you guys because it's, ours is already way over budget, not delivering oh. what we want. And it sounds like you guys are going to deliver something that we want. So we'll let you guys fund it right. and then we'll hopefully become a customer. And then the third one was um, a bar in King's Cross called Drink Shop Do. And why we were interested in them, A, the two owners are lovely, but also they run a really complicated business because it's a bar, it's a craft shop, they've got a club. So it was like, if we can make it work for them, we can make it work for anyone. So right. that was sort of our mantra with them. Um, and they all really nicely sent us scope docs. Um, you know, if we were to build a system, this is what we had. Fuller sent us their scope doc they sent to the agency originally, wow. like this is what we want to build. We obviously had our own idea. And interestingly, we had already built, Will, our CTO, had already built our own sort of V1 of Collins without realising for our own team. Right. So when all these inquiries were coming in from Design by Night, they were going into our own back of house system. Right. And myself and our team were managing our own inquiries. So we were like, well, hang on a minute. We've actually already sort of built a very basic V1. So out of our own Collins, we then built onto it a lot more. Um, Is that what the funding was used for? Yeah, Did so you have to, to hire high people dev. in. Um, it was all in house. So everything we've ever built is in house, and it was yeah, dev, uh, customer support, account management. You know, suddenly becoming a software company. You know, it, it, we didn't need fifteen editors to grow the Design My Night brand. It was actually we need back of house support, and that was our flip from a media company to a software company. At the same time as building Collins, we also had event pages on Design My Night. So as a bar owner, I could also list my event, my New Year's Eve event on my page on Design My Night. And they were linking out to like Ticketmaster or Eventbrite. And we were like, mm, hang on a minute, let's build a ticket software. Um, the same time. <laughs> same time. <laughs> so we went to Will and we were like, we want to build a ticket software too. He's like, great. So we ran them parallel. So we built our ticket software, which is called Tonic, and the, the booking software, Collins, at exactly the same time crazily launched them in December of 2014, which is obviously the busiest period. It was actually Dirty Martini, bless them, that said, okay, let's take it. So they took it in December, which was very brave of them. And it, it, it stood up. And then we were like, let's just do tonic for New Year's Eve. Like that's the biggest night of the year. Um, and again, we probably had like 30 customers that were selling their events through us. And again, it stood up. How are you charging the ticketing? So ticketing, you take a clip. So, okay. you know, if you sell a £10 ticket, we take 10%. And you can either add that as a booking fee and we take the £1 and you right. take the £10 or you can absorb it. And that's standard okay. across all of yeah. our competitors. Um, you know, when I look at the systems back then to what they are today, <laughs> different kettle of fish, but they stood up, they worked. And that for us, that December was, okay, let's do this. We're, we're a software company. Of course, we're still Design My Night and we need to grow that brand. Because um, obviously one of our big selling points to our customers was if you take our software, we'll promote you more on Design My Night as well. But that was our huge shift to software. Um, and, and then to be honest from there, so 2015 or 2014 onwards was when it just really started to rocket basically. So yeah, so it was um, from a software point of view, again, in terms of hiring, so we hired sales, so proper boots on the ground, just going out there, showing okay. them what we'd built. The really great thing for us was we were 
targeting bars and pubs. So, you know, when we'd show a bar our system, they were like, wow, this makes sense. So it wasn't, we weren't trying to kick out open table. You know, we were going to venues that didn't have a system. And same for pubs, you know, when pubs could see, oh, wow, I can manage my restaurant, my bar and my private room upstairs with this one software. Great, let's mm. do it. So actually the early adoption in the bar scene was easier, but it was classic boots on the ground, salesman, me going mm. out, showing them, doing a demo, right. signing them up. Um, Even still in 2014. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, just selling it, basically. You know, that uh, it completely changed everything for us, and especially cash flow, because when you're selling a software, not Tonic, but Collins, it was a monthly direct debit into our account for the software. The great thing about that, which helped our Design My Night flywheel, was we then could plug in Collins into Design My Night. So if you booked on Design My Night, it was going straight to the bar now. We didn't have to deal with it manually. So, you know, that saved us time and staff. We weren't manually booking people in. And then after a while, we, it's probably after 2015, um, we had a big enough critical mass of customers to be able to say, if you don't use our software, you're not on Design My Night. So that was a really big moment for us. So, you know, we had thousands of venues on our site, but probably only, say, 200 customers at that time. But right. we still knew that we had enough great cocktail bars, enough pubs, enough um, standard bars, enough party bars that as a consumer, if you came on to Design My Night, you'd still have great choice. And again, that was a brave moment, but a big moment. So we cut, you know, like 800 people off the site. But we sent an email to all of them and said, this is happening and this is why. But that got us a ton of meetings. And still to this day, people's desire to be on Design My Night is a big driver for them to use our software. And we just stuck in our lane. You know, we, as I said, we weren't going after open table in the higher end dining. We were younger audience, fun, more fun venues, more experiential. And as it so happens, you know, the years that followed, we were very lucky that the cocktail bar scene grew massively. Cocktail bars started to run themselves like restaurants with, you know, services and, you know, turning tables. Um, the experiential side of the market from a ticketing point of view has exploded over the last few years. So we sort of caught that wave. You know, we, we think, it doesn't sound very modest, but we think back in the day we were the drivers of telling people you can book into a bar and helping bars manage that. And then when that became standard practice, we then let the sort of the growth in the market carry our software, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then down the line, we obviously pivoted to restaurants as well and, and came more into open table space. Mm -hmm. And But again, we focused on casual dining. So we wouldn't go after a Gordon Ramsay, but right. we would go after a Las Iguanas or something right. like that, because actually they take groups and Christmas bookings and all of that, which actually the big systems couldn't cope with. So then we really started to gobble into the casual dining market. And again, we got lucky that that was a trend. You know, all these people setting up loads of independent casual dining, you know, from burgers to chicken to everything. And we started to become their booking software of choice. So, you know, after a few years, if you opened a bar, you would use Collins and you'd want to be on Design My Night. And we got to a stage closer to our exit where it was if I'm opening my first restaurant that's more casual, I'll look at Design My Night and Collins rather than an open table or a booker table. So when were you really profitable? Um, so profit was a big thing for us. So we always wanted to build a profitable company. We, we didn't want to take on millions. We didn't want to be boom or bust. Profit was a huge driver for us. Um, and we were 
pretty fanatical about profits. Andrew and I would check in every month and just look how we were doing, looking how far we were to break even. We only ever wanted to raise half a million. So we were, you know, checking our burn rate every month. Um, are we going to turn that spike to profitability? And, it, and it, came, it came pretty quickly. So we probably our first year after selling software, we became profitable. We ran a super lean company. Our hiring mantra was hire young and hungry. So we weren't hiring developers for 80 grand from Google. We were hiring 22 year olds. You know, some of our best developers were coding in their bedroom and this was like their first proper job, but they were just genius coders. So we were like, look, come here. Don't go and work for a big company where you're just one of a million developers. Here you're actually going to be developing software. And actually, you know, by that time, Design My Night was starting to get hundreds of thousands of views a month. Um, and it was like, you know, every change you make on Design My Night and we were de deploying weekly, which we still do you'll see the immediate impact. So, you know, you are, you are developing with an immediate impact. And that was the same across the board. So our customer success, it was people's first jobs who had just mm -hmm. had a great personality, didn't care if you'd been to university, if you were hungry and you wanted a career, come to Design My Night. Mm -hmm. You know, a as we got funding and newer offices, we could do better perks. Did you have free snacks? Yes, yeah, so we had free fruit, <laughs> tea, coffee. Um, we did a team lunch once a week. Um, the nature of Design My Night was that we, we were invited to loads of press events, so we were out a lot, um, or you know, if we didn't want to go, we would just open it up and say, if you want to take your friends to this press night. You know, we were hiring like 22, 23, 24 year olds, so you know, that's what they were in London for as well, was to go out and have fun. So we really created this culture of Andrew and I being super involved, and we really do care about you guys. This is our vision of what we want to grow the company to. And let's have a ton of fun at the same time. Funny story, it's a bit of a great story, but it was in our third office. Um, one, one of our employees, a girl, came up to my desk and was like, oh, Nick, I've got something a bit awkward to ask you. And by then I thought I'd heard it all. Right? I've seen everything in, from an HR point of view. You don't start a company wanting to do HR. I can tell you that for nothing. I was like, of course, let's go into the meeting room. She says, oh, a few of the girls have been talking. I was like, oh, God, what have I done? And we'd forgot to put a, um, a tampon bin oh. in the girls' toilet. And they just didn't want, they were too embarrassed to tell us. Oh. And they had nowhere to put tampons. Right. And I was like... Yeah, I was so embarrassed. I was like, I just did not even think of that at all. I was like, I'm so sorry. So like that afternoon, I phoned up the company that do it all. And the next day we had it. And I was like, look, this is a lesson for everyone. Just tell us, you know, we might not be able to do everything. And actually that led to a thing that we did right up to our exit. Um, and our acquirers still are going to do is that every quarter, um, the team got together without Andrew and I there mm. and discussed amongst themselves what they were happy about, what they loved, what they didn't love, and more about the office, you know, not salaries. And then one team leader would just meet Andrew and I and say, look, this is the list. And we would go away and we would constantly check in on that list. We'd be like, OK, you know, a month later, those first five things we've done, hope mm. they're making a difference. This number six, we, we don't feel we can do now, but this is why. And we do that constantly. You know. How big is the company now? So it's now 65 people. Wow. They joined us as 22 year old in the customer success team and they're now, you know, 27, but customer success manager managing 15 people. You know, I don't really care about age either. So that that's 
been an, you know an awesome part of our journey is just seeing them grow and actually it was really sweet you know on our last day recently um you know we had just them in tears just going you know you've literally made my career like all i know about london is working at design my night and you've built my career and whether i stay or not i found a career because of what you guys have done um, and that's that's just really special because that's not what you set out to do really when you start a company yeah so well congratulations Thank you guys you. are just acquired yeah in fact today was your last day, last day in yeah, this yeah. <laughs> um what made you sell and actually who who bought you guys and can you say how much yeah so um we always had a plan so when we took the first round of funding we had a five-year plan and Andrew and I it's the first thing I actually I'm meeting a lot of entrepreneurs now who are pre-seed pre-product and the first question I ask is what do you want out of this business and it sounds so obvious but it's a question that a lot of people don't ask themselves was do you want to sell it you know let's talk about money money's fine to talk about you know how much do you want to make out of this you know do you want this to be life-changing do you want it to be a billion pounds are you happy with a million pounds in your back pocket and I think when you know what the end point is mm. you can work back from that so Andrew and I were like okay five-year plan the investors were obviously happy with a five-year plan we both agreed the ballpark we wanted to sell it for which was a good starting point. And we were just very mathematical about it. So we were like, okay, so if we want to sell it for X, we're now a software company that we know we can sell for 10 to 18 times multiple of profit. So if we want to sell it for X, we need our profit to be Y, probably a year before we start to sell it. And like when we were working to profitability, this became our new obsession and our new chart. And every month we would track more profit than revenue because you know you've got more chance of getting a higher multiple of your profit than someone just taking a punt on your revenue and i think that's another thing we lose with the we works and the ubers of this world you know you've got to be very lucky and have a really a, a really strong buyer who really wants to buy you to buy you from a revenue multiple so we were like let's just cut down that risk and you know this life-changing sum of money that we want to achieve we can do that if we hit this achievable, we think, profit number. So we were, you know, very obsessed with profit, checked in on every month, you know, if we were above or below our line. And that, but yeah, as I said, that became our obsession. Um, and we crazily tracked pretty much to it. In fact, uh, the head of entrepreneurship at London Business School, John, has said he's never seen a company every month just hit target without any huge blips he's and so much so he's writing a case study about us to teach wow. at lbs you know taking a small amount of funding building up your revenue building up profitability and just scaling that responsibly basically so how did we come to sell it so we we hit our fourth year of the investment we knew by the end of the fourth year our profit should be where we wanted it to be and we'd both come to terms with it you know by then that was probably like five, six, seven, seven, six years in the game. We were both exhausted uh, mentally, physically. Andrew got married, actually had two kids at that time. We were still paying ourselves a teeny salary really? in comparison wow. to what we were doing because we always had the end goal in sight. So, you know, still like living off credit cards and yeah, credit to Elise, <laughs> living with Andrew and two kids on such small salary. And we, 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 we again went traditional. So we actually reached out to a few brokers 
and there were a few that were interested. We went with one we were recommended called First Capital and they were in like the smaller bracket. So they were looking at deals anywhere from say 10 to, you know, 100 million. So, you know, we thought, okay, well, that's, that's our sweet spot. And it's a crazy journey. So for that year, the first thing they said to us, which I'll always remember was, whoever buys you won't be on this list. So the first thing they said is, you draw up a list of who you think is gonna buy you. Um, and we'll do one as well, of mm-hmm. stuff you probably don't know about, you know, VCs and stuff. Uh, and obviously we had, you know, TripAdvisor, sure. uh, Open Table, all of our competitors, so maybe random ones like Airbnb who were getting into experiences, maybe someone like Eventbrite. And they were right, so the, who did buy us, they're called Access Group, so they're one of the, the, the biggest software houses in the UK, so they're, they're, they're worth a billion pounds. Based out in Allgate, so we were in Shoreditch, so very close. They got our vision of the UK, so we only ever focused on the UK. Um, which was important for us in terms of focus. They're a UK software house and, you know, the the founder is still there. Uh, He set it up in the early 90s and, you know, they've built a billion pound company just in the UK in software. And yeah, it's a long old process. So we we spent about five months with our broker building um, the sales pack. So the IM it's called. So they really had to understand our business. So we were locked for hours and hours in them pouring over our numbers. It's a confusing business. We have like six different revenue lines. Some are monthly payments, some are clips on payments. We'd built other products within Collins. We had our own deposit financial system and we were taking right. clips off that. So it's a very complicated business to actually understand. So they did a great job just really understanding our business like we understood it. And then we built the sales deck, which, you know, was whatever, 100 pages going through loads of iterations. And then you're basically putting yourself on the shop shelf. When you start, we did it under the radar. So he was like, okay, A, we're going to stay away from your main competitors. So we won't go to open table and we won't go to book a table. Um, let's look at some other industry buyers potentially that aren't really in your lane and see if there's interest. And uh, why is that? Because at that point we weren't really selling, we didn't say Design My Night is up for sale. Mm -hmm. He wanted to do it under the radar and because we were at quite a pivotal time and we actually, you know, were really eating into our competitors' clients. So if they knew we were up for sale, A, don't forget, the minute you say that, they think you're there for the taking. You know, when the founders leave, is the company going to go on? But B, if you show them your sales deck, They've literally got all of your secret sauce. So you've got to be really sure that one of them might buy you if you're going to open up your whole business. Or if one of them aren't going to buy you, that you're going to sell. Otherwise, you're then left with a company you haven't sold and all of your competitors know what your five-year plan is from now. So we went to people I'd never heard of, that, you know, even like Access I'd never heard of, so like software houses and VCs. We had some good interest, actually had some offers. And the process is you send them a summary you don't even necessarily mention it's designed by night. So you do a summary of the business. They then declare interest and then you send them the big sales packs, like the head of M&A. If they're then interested further, you normally have a phone meeting. If they're then normally interested, you go in and meet all the heads of M&A. And it's normally that's the final meeting and then they'll come back with an offer or say they're not interested. So we had some interest, had some offers, lower than we wanted. so then we were like, okay, let's, let's go to the people that we think will buy us. Um, so then we did a proper process. We were up for sale. We went, we, we, I won't name the names, but we ended up with Access and three others who were interested in buying us. And um, we'd had all the meetings with all of them. We'd met all the heads of M&A. 
And then it just, yeah, who was gonna pay the best price or who could also move quickly. And what Access did very cleverly was they put an offer in which we actually rejected four times, but then they came back with an offer that was acceptable and they said, we need to know in a week. And if you tell us within a week, we will have this deal done within a month. So we, we are ready, we've got the cash, we'll do due diligence super quickly. We can see you've already got your house in order. Whereas, you know, big global company over there, from first offer to actually selling it could be another year. So, you know, we had offers on the table, but access were, were where we wanted it to be. It was UK, they were gonna keep all of our staff, um, we'd keep our office. Um, so we felt for us and our team, um, that they would be the best acquirer. I can't give the exact amount, but I'll say it was, it was over 25 million. And actually when Andrew and I first met, I think we, our goal was 15. So yeah, that was great. That's yeah. incredible, <laughs> that yeah, was, hey, we were very incredible. Happy with that. And yeah, and then it moved very quickly. So that was actually in, we actually sold it um, in November, 2017. As part of negotiations, we had a two-year earnout. it's called, where we had a year one and a year two target, um, and some of that money was tied up in us hitting our targets. So yeah, it was, it was sell, jubilation, next day, back at it, now we need to hit our targets. And that's something we've, always, we've never really celebrated success, so we've managed to keep each other on quite an even keel, so even when you know, we lost all our traffic because of the Google change. We managed to keep ourselves somehow on an even keel. You know, when we've had huge successes, we've celebrated it for a minute, We're like, good job, mate, and then straight back to it. Okay, so no big buying big things. No, definitely none of that. Uh, we, bought, we bought property for ourselves. Sure. We were both renting and yeah. Andrew Blessing could buy a house for his family <laughs> and they could live yeah. somewhere nice. Um, but yeah, we weren't, you know, it's not in our nature, but we, you know, we didn't go crazy. We made sure the whole team was focused. And then it's a very different journey for those two years. And it's, it's about growing the business, but it's about measuring you know, the, the impact of a corporate on your company and keeping your team happy that mm -hmm. you're all still pulling in the same direction because undoubtedly things do change. So you know, the last two years for us have been stressful in terms of we need to keep our revenue and profit lines up, but we need to ensure all of our staff that it's, you're still at Design My Night, basically. What would your biggest piece of advice be to somebody else who's thinking of starting their own business? I think the, the first thing is, is, is to do it. I think n now more than ever is the best time to start a business. Uh, you know, A, in terms of angel and funding, if, if that's the route you want to go down, there, you know, there's money around for people to invest in good ideas. But, you know, I'm only 35, but... You know, when we started, there was no Squarespace, there was no Shopify, you know, so for you to, to, to start a website and even to have e-commerce is, is so easy now. And you don't have to necessarily pay an agency 10 grand to build you a website. Um, even in the app space, you know, there's lots of companies that now can, can help build apps much cheaper. You don't have to spend 50 grand to build an app. So I would say do it. I would also say do a lot of research. So don't just jump into an idea. Andrew and I scrutinize every idea we have. We try and dissuade ourselves that it's a good idea. Don't just ask your best friends and your family. You know, go and speak to the market and go and speak to even potential competitors. Like, I think you'd be surprised in this world, people actually are really happy to meet up for a coffee. Just get out there, um, speak to people. Obviously we pivoted 
So I'm not going to say your first idea has to be the idea. But for me, I think if you find a market that you can operate in and a market that looks right for disruption, then and you feel like you're the right person to do it, then you're probably at a good starting point. And then just do it. If you've got a job, do it on the weekend, do it after work. And yeah, with the likes of SEO and, and you know, you can get traffic without having to spend millions on advertising. And just understand that it's going to be hard, hard work. Mm. I think the beauty of an entrepreneurial journey is you, you, you can never be ready for it. It's almost like having a baby. Yeah. So actually, you just do it. Like, don't worry about yeah. sleepless nights and all of that. You just, you'll cope. Yeah. And I think it's the same with if I knew how much stress I was under in the early days that almost affected my health, I probably wouldn't have taken the leap. So actually just taking that step into the unknown, but knowing that I, ha I felt I had the personality to do it, and not overthinking it was big for me because if I would have known everything that it would have entailed, I probably wouldn't have been brave enough to do it. So has everybody been paid back, everyone who invested? Um, so um, the, the final payout will happen probably at the end of January. So because yeah. for us, because December is such a huge month, we need yeah. to consolidate actually what we made in December. Yeah. And then, yeah, everyone that had shares in the company, uh, which was a lot of our staff and our shareholders and my dad. They will have done well. All, yeah, all have done very well. Um, that was probably the proudest moment, like telling my dad what he's, he'd made. Yeah. Uh, he brought me up and, again, you know, I had a great childhood and stuff and I always looked up to him as an entrepreneur. So that was probably, you know, more than my own bank account to be able to give him that money and just be like, thanks for trusting yeah. me basically. That was a really proud moment for me. Oh, that's awesome. I will leave it at that because that's so <laughs> lovely. Um, congratulations and Thank good luck much. with your next investment. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, I'm just blown away at how amazing that story is. I mean, first of all, Andrew splitting his salary with Nick. I would never do that with anybody. So just incredible start. Um, a few key takeaways. Be ready to not make any money for the first however many years it takes to establish the business. These guys didn't really pay themselves for seven years. A huge one for them was pivoting from their original idea. So started out as a guide, but ended up being a software company. It just really speaks to how listening to the market and finding the gaps rather than sticking to your own idea as much as you loved it is actually invaluable. Also, these guys, unlike Pizza Pilgrims, did have a business plan. And they followed it and knew exactly what their end game was. They always wanted to sell. They got themselves to that position and ended up selling it for way more than they wanted. So I don't know, business plan, no business plan. Sort of depends on the kind of person you are, I guess. Both seem to work. So Nick, as of the day I met him, no longer worked at Design My Night and is purely an angel investor. He's also on the board of four companies. He's a really great guy. If you have any questions about your ideas or looking for investment, I would, I'm suggesting on his behalf to hit him up on LinkedIn. Um, but finally, uh, I did ask him what his favorite bar was at the moment back when we could drink. And he said it was the Gibson. The Gibson is a Prohibition-themed bar from X Nightjar Barman in Old Street. They make fantastic cocktails. Highly, highly recommend as well. Okay, that's it. Thank you for listening, and see you next week.